This episode is brought to you by Dad Designer. The Alt MBA was the catalyst for a successful delivery on a project I was putting off to self-publish a children's book by the fall of that year. I initially thought holding that final book in my hands was the goal, but I realized the book serves as a symbol for the personal discovery journey the process took me on. Have you ever noticed the uniqueness of Animal Eyes? That was the premise for the children's book I shipped, in part because of the Alt MBA. If you'd like a copy for yourself to remember what you learned to see during this amazing workshop, visit dadsigner.com slash eyes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. No, no, not really. It's actually brought to you by The Long and the Short of It, a podcast for the curious by the wonderful Jen Wolman and myself, Peter Shepard. Each week we unpack a theme from every single angle that we can think of. The long, I'm six foot seven. The short, Jen's five foot one. The macro, the micro, the art, the science, the American, the Australian, and everything in between. You can check it out at thelongandtheshortpodcast.com or just search for The Long and the Short of It wherever you get your podcasts. This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-MBA alumni. This is episode 70. When I started this project, I had no idea what I was getting into, but over time, I started to develop a better sense of what I wanted the show to be. My guest today is Brent Lamphier from Alt-MBA 5. Brent is no stranger to creating something from scratch. In 2007, he started a company from his dorm room. The company was called Athlion and eventually grew to serve tens of thousands of users. Athlion was acquired in 2012, which freed Brent to start his next act. It sounded like a standard startup story, but I learned that Alt-MBA played a big role in Brent's decision to leave the company that he'd worked so hard to create so that he could build something completely different. And that's why I wanted to talk to Brent. Brent's company, Athlion, eventually would become an all-in-one sports team management platform with specific tools engineered to help coaches communicate with their teams and prepare for game day. So naturally, we started our conversation talking about sports. What kind of player were you? How would you describe your, your, yourself as a fly half? I guess there's uh, you're directing things like fly half. You are telling everybody what to do, at least in the back line, which, of course, naturally was something that <laughs> I like to do. Um, and uh, I, I used to always tell people that their 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 job was to turn off their brain and react and play. And me and the scrum half's job uh, was to like amongst all the chaos and wreckage and carnage to like keep our brains on and to direct people where they need to go. Because rugby is one of those games where if you overthink it, bad things can happen where if you kind of are in the right position and go as hard as you can and, you know, trust your body and the training you've done uh, and react accordingly, um, things happen so quickly that it's better to do that. But you need a couple of people to keep their brains on. And that was me. That was my job. I got to direct people, you know, around and call out the, you know, the plays and like make sure everybody was in correct positions. And then, you know, and then chaos happens. Right. And then my job was to try and analyze the chaos and, you know, figure out what's next. Heading into his senior year, Brent was named captain of the rugby team. And with that came new responsibilities. I inherited this giant file of facts of all of the stuff that I now had to do uh, because the rugby is a, a club program. We have access to some of the athletic facilities, uh, had some support from the school, uh, but not 
nearly enough and certainly did not have access to the technology that the the basketball team or the football team or any of the, the bigger varsity programs used. Um, and yeah, inherited this giant file of facts full of playbook sheets that I had to go to Kinko's to make copies of, of all the DVDs that I was supposed to burn to give out to the players of like financial statements and uh, the, the like phone tree and who I was supposed to contact for donations and just like all of this stuff. And it was all paper based. Um, and meanwhile, you know, Facebook was everything on campus because it was still just for universities. YouTube had just been acquired. So everybody was there. Uh, the iPhone wasn't out yet, but we were using text messaging for all communication. Um, and I saw this kind of web to a world, but everything that was being built, all these amazing things and all these niches, we couldn't use any of it. And I was just tired of all of this stuff that I had to manage, uh, including a, a email list on a listserv that kept getting spammed and a website that was impossible to update. Um, so kind of had that inkling. And I remember like sitting there and being like, like, I see all these like college entrepreneurs building stuff, you know, Zuckerberg was still at Harvard or just dropped out at that point. And you're like, well, maybe I like, I don't know how to code, but could I build something? Like, could I make this happen? Um, and it was, wasn't quite clear what that was going to be yet. Um, but the big inkling was, you know, over the summer, everybody was supposed to be working out, but we couldn't force everybody to be at the school gym at 6am like we did during the season. Um, it's like, how do we track and make sure that people are doing what they need to be doing when they're home or off wherever they are during the summer? You know, we're coming off a nationally ranked top 25 season, but lost a lot of players. It was on me and our, our other captain to make sure that, you know, the team was ready for the, the following fall. If they're online all the time anyway, and they're always on Facebook or YouTube, could I get them on a thing where it's like, you know, a, a space for our team? When you said... There's all this technology out there, but you couldn't use any of it. Like, what, what did you mean by that? So this this was a time where part of the reason Facebook took off was because it was private, because you had to have the .edu email address, right? Um, and that was, you know, in clear differentiation from MySpace, where you had these public sites. And most of the kind of Web 2.0 boom was around social sharing and sports inherently. While the team is social, we didn't want... Washington State or Oregon or Cal or UCLA or any of these teams to see what we were doing. So the concept of having something out in the open um, was against everything that, you know, <laughs> we, we wanted to do. And our, we certainly never could have gotten our coaches to go for it. Right. Right. Facebook was very different at that time. You know, how can we have a private space where our team can do I can get all this paper based stuff um, into what we now call the cloud, but it wasn't called that then. So you had this idea that's beginning to percolate in your head. What happened next? It was in the back of my mind. I started to say, hey, maybe I can do this thing. And with the caveat that because I knew I couldn't develop anything, I had to find a co-founder. So I basically spent the fall interviewing people, meeting people through the honors program, meeting people in the computer science department to say, like, hey, do you want to come build this thing with me? Because most of the people at that point, at the University of Washington, it was basically a feeder program for Microsoft. So like everybody with a CS degree, you know, got their signing bonus, leased a BMW, bought a house and, you know, went to their next 20, 30 years at Microsoft. And that was kind of what the program was for at that point. Do you remember any of those conversations? How did the, how did those go? The conversations were were funny. There were a number of them, um, none of which... I was particularly wowed by until I met Ryan, who ended up becoming my co-founder, where it felt like he was interviewing me. 
Uh, he brought out a Go board and we played Go to see how my brain worked. And apparently uh, he was happy enough with, you know, how I followed through with a strategy, even if it was the wrong strategy. <laughs> so Brent now had a co-founder. Together, they started to do market research and put together an MVP. One day, an early team member discovered an interesting hack that would become Athlon's first major breakthrough. He had discovered a, um, a way that the SMS carriers would allow you to, via email, send text messages to people's phone. Ryan, my co-founder, was like, you know, does this work? Can we do this here? Because uh, we'd always wanted to have text messaging be a part of the service, but it was going to cost quite a bit because you're going to have to pay for every text message sent. Um, but most of the carriers had this this email to SMS gateway, and we were already triggering notifications to remind people of events um, so you didn't have to call around or like try and spread the word like we did, which, you know, especially in a place like Seattle where it's like, well, is practice indoor or outdoor? Like is practice canceled because of the weather? Uh, what are we going to do? So suddenly when we were then showing coaches that he could type something in his computer and within five to 10 seconds, every one of his players would have a text message on their phone and an email on their computer with that announcement. That was the like, oh, I want this. So that was the, that, that kind of shift was the first like wow moment. Um, and it ended up being, the first of a couple um, that kind of set their trajectory for us of, okay, wow, this is something that's really cool. And the product wasn't really fully functional enough yet that a coach would move his or, or her entire team onto it. But that was the first like, wow, I'm really interested because this solves a big problem and you just showed me that it works. Over time, Brent and his team added more features and began to sign on more teams. Then the economic downturn of 2008 hit. So we ended up um, closing our Series A and raised venture uh, in summer of 2008, which was right before everything kind of hit the fan. Um, so much so that this, we were banking with WAMU, Washington Mutual at the time, which current listeners may not know of what that is because it is no longer a bank. And we were actually worried about the wire transfer coming in. You know, we had a large amount of money coming meant to be coming into the bank. And this is right at the time where we're like, is this going to come in? And we were really worried that the round wouldn't close. Um, we were lucky in that it did, but it only partially did. And we didn't end up getting the full amount of money that, you know, we should have gotten from the round. But so as the recession hit, Sequoia came out with the deck, RIP Good Times, Sequoia Capital, which was the biggest VC at the time. And basically telling everybody to hunker down where when you raise money, that's when you're supposed to be ramping up. And so we, we spent money as if we had more money that was coming in that didn't end up coming in, uh, and tried to accelerate our growth because we needed to show, you know, rapid growth to, to raise the next round. Um, a lot of things happened at that time. So, you know, I hired a team, started spending money on Google ads, like rapidly expanding the product, um, into the, that coming basketball season. Cause we raised in the fall and sports is super cyclical. The seasonal calendar really affects everything. Um, so we're accelerating into basketball. Um, and you know, over a period of time realized that we were, it was going to be hard to raise another round. At that point, our platform was still free and we were expecting to be able to partner and work with, um, the, all the companies that spend a lot of money marketing to this demographic. And, you know, again, pre Facebook ads now where you can target all the way down, there wasn't a way on the web to easily, you know, target these people. Um, and so that was the model that we were raising money against, uh, and realized that that was not going to work. And so we actually, 
flipped and turned it into a, a SaaS model and started charging for the platform. Um, and that was then in part because the additional money from our Series A probably wasn't going to come in at that point. And then also just in an effort to um, try and be self-sustainable uh, for at least a period to kind of weather the storm because nobody knew when the venture market was going to come back. Um, so we turned it on a, for a pay model. Um, also lots of learnings there. But, you know, some of the stories are... You know, we had a team say that they were cutting down on travel to games because they the school couldn't afford buses anymore. We had teams, you know, saying that, like, we're choosing between this and going to a tournament, you know, because um, the people are are really worried about what they're they're going to spend money on. And, and we're, you know, decreasing the amount we're charging for our club sports team this year. Um so we let a lot of people use it for free or really discounted prices. And we priced really low with the hope of making enough cash to to keep the lights on to float until we could raise more money. And did that work? That did not work, <laughs> as you can probably expect. Um, so the, it, it made enough to um, to you know, keep the lights on to have a skeleton team. We had to do, you know, some layoffs and, um, basically it was back to, from a team back to, to me and Ryan. Um, and, uh, it kind of ran at that state for a bit. And then we also both got day jobs for a bit, um, with the, the understanding that the growth curve was not going to be at a venture rate anymore. Like there was not going to be a, a profitable route to a series B. Um, and our earlier investor had closed up shop. So their VC fund, that was the end of their fund. So they didn't have any more money to, to float us either um and uh and yeah so that was the the kind of dark days of of 2009 to 2010 we still had you know thousands of teams tens of thousands of users and and it was and it was slowly growing so athlon was still continuing to grow coaches were still using it and talking about it um and then uh after uh about after a year of kind of that close, maybe closer to 18 months, um, I started to get a lot of inbound partnership interest. And at that time period, partnership often meant acquisition. Right. And I kind of made it clear early on that, like, we weren't looking for just partners. We were looking, you know, to, to be a part of something bigger and grow with something else. Um, and if and, you know, that a few of those calls were like, yeah, that's exactly what we'd love to talk about. Um, so it was really interesting and in that i was working at that job there was an empty floor three floors above us in a skyscraper in san francisco overlooking the bay bridge and they kept the doors unlocked so i would take calls from like overlooking the bay bridge thinking i'm in this like fancy office talking big because you don't want to say that you know the company is really struggling you want to talk about you know the opportunities in front of it um while actually at a different job and in an empty office floor <laughs> in a random skyscraper in san francisco um but yeah, so the, the inbound interest started. And then at that point, some of the companies that have weathered the storm, it started to, to show. Um, so I started then proactively also going out to people doing the, the opposite of like, hey, we're, you know, interested in partnership and kind of feeling out, you know, where they were at financially, because all of us looked like we were doing great, right? Because that's part of the Silicon Valley venture thing. Everybody's crushing it. So it's really hard to tell what company is crushing it and what company is is kind of stagnant and what companies in you know zombie mode you eventually sold your company though how did that go down at this point there'd been some inbound i we'd gone down the path with a number of different companies all very different from a uh, big apparel provider that 
shall not be named to uh, a video production sport company, to people that put on camps and clinics at national scale, um, to uh, an individual associated with one of the pro sports leagues that was then building out software for that pro sports league that shall not be named. Um, And it was just all across the board. Everyone wanted us kind of for a different reason. Um, And at this point, we were about ready to sign a term sheet um, and, you know, had the one that we were going to go for the one that, you know, you, you both have to do the one that offers the most money so that you can get as much return as possible for your shareholders. Um, but also the one that because any of these deals absolutely were going to require, you know, Ryan and I most likely with um, and then out of nowhere, I got an email uh, from a, a gentleman who said he was in town from London. Could I pick up the phone? And I was like, uh, OK, I guess i thought i've assumed he was just trying to tell me something um and then he explained that you know they were uh, uh venture investors in a private equity fund they were uh at google in mountain view i was in the city in san francisco uh and that they're flying out of sfo in three hours you know they were on the way to the airport could i meet them there um so we met outside the business class lounge at sfo um i'm like who are these guys what is like what is this um and turns out they were uh um They'd done exceptionally well as entrepreneurs in the first dot com kind of bubble and had kind of in a Mark Cuban way navigated it and made a couple of really smart decisions that helped them ratchet things up in a way at a time that a lot of other people ended up ratcheting uh, down. And rather than kind of sitting on their laurels, um, they were essentially doing it again. So they were private equity investor investors and it built a, a, a venture. They call it a venture builder, which is they either create companies or acquire and, and build companies mostly within um, either IT and finance on one side of the house or kind of education on the other. And now they were, were building out in sport. Um, this is right before London 2012. Um, so like there was lots of investment in sport in, in London. Um, they owned a, a professional cricket team um, in India uh, and were working with a, um, a gentleman named Sir Clive Woodward, who ironically is the famous rugby coach in England, who uh, they're the best fly half in the world, Johnny Wilkinson, who won them the Rugby World Cup in 2003. Those were the videos. Videos of Johnny were what I was given to learn how to play fly half because Johnny was the best in the game and Sir Clive was his coach. Um, and Clive had a, a education background and um, was bringing his unique style of coaching. He was trying to productize that and he was going to do it with Blenheim Chalkett as part of this umbrella under London 2012 and with partnerships with the International Olympic Committee and all this interesting stuff. Um, but they knew they needed a product guy and they knew they needed um, some like insight into the American sports landscape because as big as like soccer, football and rugby are and cricket in the, the UK, uh, it does not touch sports in America at least in terms of, of participation, to be sure. Um, so it was, you know, that was the conversation with them. They asked, you know, where would I take Athlon? What was I interested in? You know, what were we doing? Um, obviously, what was Ryan doing? Uh, and then it was like, okay, they got on a plane. And then two days later, they sent me a plane ticket and I flew to London the next week. Um, so I, I kind of paused the term sheet with the other guy because they were offering the same amount of money as, as the, the other term sheet. Um, and it was suddenly a lot more interesting for what we would be doing and then what potentially it would mean for our users too, to be part of this, this bigger thing since, you know, the, how do you teach and train your athletes is the, was the whole point of, of Athlon. Um, and yeah, so it, it then of course took 
the the spring into the summer um all through london 2012 i got to go out for the olympics and and go to a bunch of the events which was great um and then you know ups and downs of normal any uh uh negotiation like that um but they ended up buying it and i then joined the team and essentially opened their their u.s office ryan stayed on for a bit but it was always a just kind of a partial thing because he they had in-house development and he uh was more than ready to go on to to his next thing um yeah and so that was how i i joined them and uh started working on on projects for the the london firm out of the u.s on the next episode part two of my conversation with brent how alt mba changed everything for him and what is he working on next so um when we found out about this program that suddenly had a 95 percent completion rate despite everything else that is going on in online education where the completion rate is in the single digits. Uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, I kind of raised my hand. I was like, well, if we need someone to take it, you know, maybe I could take it. That's on the next episode of People Like Us. This episode is hosted and edited by me, Covington Doan. It is mixed by William Flato. We're trying some new things with this episode and would love to hear what you think. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with part two of my conversation with Brent. This episode is brought to you by Dad Designer. The Alt MBA was the catalyst for a successful delivery on a project I was putting off, to self-publish a children's book by the fall of that year. I initially thought holding that final book in my hands was the goal, but I realized the book serves as a symbol for the personal discovery journey the process took me on. Have you ever noticed the uniqueness of Animal Eyes? That was the premise for the children's book I shipped, in part because of the Alt MBA. If you'd like a copy for yourself to remember what you learned to see during this amazing workshop, visit dadzigner.com slash eyes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. No, no, not really. It's actually brought to you by The Long and the Short of It, a podcast for the curious by the wonderful Jen Wellman and myself, Peter Shepard. Each week we unpack a theme from every single angle that we can think of. The long, I'm six foot seven, the short, Jen's five foot one, the macro, the micro, the art, the science, the American, the Australian, and everything in between. You can check it out at the long and the short podcast.com or just search for the long and the short of it wherever you get your podcasts.